0: welcome to the philip wiley show take a look behind the curtain of professional hacking and hear compelling discussions with guests from diverse backgrounds who share a common curiosity and passion for challenges and their job and now here's your host offensive security professional educator mentor and author philip wiley
1: Hello, well, welcome to another episode of The Philip Wiley Show. I'm excited to have Katie Paxton-Fear, a.k.a. Insider uh, PhD, joining us here. Uh, so I'm very excited to have Katie joining. Uh, I've followed her for years and a big fan of her YouTube channel. There's a, a lot of content creators out there, but the nice thing is, is she has the educator background along with the practitioner background and really creates good videos. I mean, there's a lot of content out there and decent content, but hers is 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 top-notch so really great to have her on we got to meet in person last year at black hat uh, europe in london and i've been planning to get her on the show and just haven't got her on yet but the timing is great because uh originally was trying to get her scheduled for the hacker factory and since i've gone independent uh it's good that we did procrastination did win out <laughs> once and so uh we got her joining us today so welcome to the show
0: Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Um, it's great. And I I was literally as we we're doing like the kind of pre-introduction talk about how much I recommend your content to my students as well, who are also looking to get into cybersecurity and break into the industry and showing them all the different paths they can take. So it's really exciting to be here and to actually be able to chat with you like on on an on actual like video.
1: Yeah, it's good to, good to have you. And, and, you know, we share a like mission and so I really like what you're doing because you really created a lot of good content. And as I mentioned before we started, uh, one place I referenced one of your videos was for an API uh, talk I do on using external attack service management to secure and discover APIs. So I used that there. And also that same talk, I first gave it at Alyssa Knight's API Security Conference, oh, which nice. was last year, or the year before last. I think it was, I guess it was last year. And it ended up becoming an article for US United States cybersecurity magazine. And oh, so, wow. uh, so yeah, it was pretty interesting because I worked for a company that did external attack surface management and I was, and when I work for companies that do evangelist stuff, I don't necessarily try to pitch their product. I try to come up with use cases of why you need these things and just kind of show the, the need for the product and not sell the product. So it was a good way to bring awareness to external attack service management. And of course. API security is a hot topic, as you well know.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of people kind of forget APIs because they are like sitting there running in the background. People just forget that they're there and forget that they're a security concern, and they're too busy looking at like the main application or the mobile app that they just completely blank on the APIs.
1: It's amazing some of the things people have found, just like Sam Curry, Uh, and I guess he had some people helping him with the API, some people he hacks with that found those APIs that affected like Tesla and, and several different automobile manufacturers.
0: He, he did some work like a few years ago as well, where he had left like a blind cross-site scripting payload as his name on like his car and his windscreen broke and he actually found <laughs> a vulnerability that would let you see like essentially what the mechanics saw when they did like diagnostics on the car and it's just it's wild to me that thing like APIs stretch you know we kind of don't really think about it that much but they really are they're like the fabric that holds the internet together they're like the weave of the fabric
1: Yeah, they touch so many, so many different things. And you don't think they would, And like you mentioned, you know, we don't see it sometimes. And some companies, sadly, think that it's, you can't see it easily that it's, you know, secure, security through obscurity, but that's not the case. It's kind of interesting, too, because I, I started out in IT. So I spent the first six years of my career in IT. And it's kind of interesting, because back in the day, before web API's, you had uh, middleware servers and that served a lot of the same type of function. But fortunately, APIs have really improved that over that because one of the middleware servers was BizWorks that Microsoft had that you could interact between the different platforms uh, kind of the same way the APIs do now, but APIs look so much cleaner.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think as well, like even in the past, like ten, five to ten years, like, APIs have become, like, even more common. Um, Like, I remember when I first started getting into, like, software engineering and I was working on my very first uh, iOS app, um, I was writing APIs in, like, XML and the kind of GraphQL coming out, having, like, RESTful specifications, um, like, proper API specs, proper documentation, it feels like even over the past like few years the apis have kind of become gone from like something a niche into so mainstream although developers will say that they have always been that mainstream of course and we've just <laughs> now thinking about securing securing them as security people
1: yeah it's kind of interesting i did my first api pen test back in i guess around 2015 or 2016 and there just really wasn't any good content or books out there for API pen testing.
0: You know, actually, I found that when I was first working on YouTube videos, because I do, I have a developer background, I worked as a software engineer, and my job was a lot of different things. I started my very first job, like in um, tech at all, uh, Photoshopping the CEO of a company's face onto deal or no deal, Noel Edmonds for like a sales um like incentive program and i ended that job writing a full like um data lake storage that had all these connectors that came from all these different places and for that throughout job i was writing a lot of apis i was looking at a lot of api specs and trying to pull together all this different data from different places into one cohesive stream um and I was really surprised when I first started making YouTube videos, people weren't really talking about APIs. And as a developer, I really thought that was odd because as a developer, you see them so often, especially if you're developing like third party applications um, that yeah, I, like for me, one of the very first videos I knew I was gonna make in the Finding Your First Bug series was gonna be API hacking. Also because that's how I found my first bug uh, was in an API. So. I also think they're great places to find bugs.
1: Very cool. Se- seems like a bug bounty that it may be a good opportunity since not everyone is up to speed on on APIs know them as-, as well as some other types of vulnerabilities they could uh, detect.
0: Yeah. I mean, bug, bug hunting is really interesting. So I've never done like a regular penetration testing job, so I won't pretend to know what that looks like. Um, But it's such an interesting window into how teams make software, because I'm quite often in a position where I'll have like an endpoint and I'll be trying to construct what's behind that endpoint in my brain. So often when I see like an API endpoint, I'm thinking, okay, this is a RESTful API. It must be connected to a framework, that must be connected to the database or whatever. I've got this like really small window where I'm like trying to figure out what's actually behind it. I always describe it as uh, having like a puzzle, except for you only have a few pieces they are completely blank and you're not actually sure if they came from the same set and like putting together that understanding of like how it works from the outside and turning that into like vulnerabilities. It's my favorite part as well i love that part
1: very cool so i guess you know uh i guess from 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 doing the bug bounties i guess you you rely heavily on osana reconnaissance to try to to figure that out to that those pieces did you understand
0: no, <laughs> I'm, no? Okay. I'm so chaotic i literally i was in this interview with like the the CEO of hacker one he's like and they interview being interviews like you must have this really complicated process. I'm like no, <laughs> I I just show up and then I just find bugs. I don't know how it works, but I'm really chaotic. You know, I don't really have a reconnaissance process. I mainly just look at what's in front of me and try and construct in my head. You know how the application is built, what the potential weaknesses are, what the potential security outcomes are. So I'll start. Let's say I'm looking at an application like. Um, I don't know, Google Mail. I'm like, okay, emails. If you get the content of someone else's email, that's bad. Be able to change someone's password, also bad. See an attachment, bad. And I'll start from that, like, okay, what does the client care about? And I'll look at the features in front of me and try and figure out, okay, what combination of these features get me to those really bad security outcomes? I'm not having like a lot of people run automated tools and find a bunch of endpoints and find a bunch of documents and find. I would literally look at what's in front of me and start to think, okay, when I open an email, what is actually happening there? Like what is my client doing? What is the server receiving and how does that process work? So you click on an email, it sends an API request. It returns back the email. If you click on an attachment, it sends another API request, putting all that together in like these steps and then thinking okay how can i break that so if this is sending an api request to get the contents of the email how does it know which email is there um some kind of like uh, authorization in place that stops you from seeing it if you're in another in another account and i'll think about how you can start to find um like bugs that appear outside of that and different ways of finding the information um so i might think okay so you can see the email if you open it but also if you reply to it you'll also see the email at the bottom the chain right that's another way of kind of breaking that uh, same functionality so it's not really re- reconnaissance it's really much more like investigation work I always describe it as kind of Sherlock Holmesing or like <laughs> puzzles because I think that better represents what I'm doing than like really formal processes which I do not do form formal, formal formal processes are not for me
1: <laughs> the interesting thing though is I could see your approach would probably could if you're, you know, if you're, if that you're able to to do that, the way you do it, would be less overwhelming because I could see sometimes if you're really doing a lot of reconnaissance, you've got all this stuff to sort through, and I could see how it could be really distracting and overwhelming. So, the way you're doing things, I'm not saying it's easy, but it just seems like a less complicated and distracting process.
0: I always think about it as like they kind of have two different kinds of ways of thinking about things almost like a top-down and a a kind of bottom-up perspective. If you start by looking at like domain names, then subdomains, then looking for APIs, then uh, brute forcing to get API endpoints, whatever. That is, I think, a very like bottom-up. You're looking at the very small details and looking to find that functionality by going to the top. My approach is much more top-down. I start at the functionality and I break that down into the individual things a client is doing. I mean, that could be an API request. That could be, you know, a piece of JavaScript, right? It's breaking down that functionality into its component parts such that me as a hacker can follow those steps, get the same end result, and then think, okay, how do I break that? i don't think any is like a bad approach or a good approach i think Mm. it's just a different way of thinking and potentially my approach also comes with the fact that was a software engineer and a lot of the time when i see these features i can really imagine what's behind it i can really think to myself if i was building this this is how i do it and i think that helps a lot and especially when people like talk about when i found my first bug which uh was kind of acted like it wasn't really, I wasn't experienced, I didn't really know what I was doing. I do put a lot of faith in the fact that you know, I I was a software engineer, I was writing this software. And that helps a ton in understanding how to break it.
1: So if, if someone's wanting to get into bug hunting or application security, what would be your recommended path?
0: Oh, I don't think there's a wrong path. I think step one is to make sure it's actually what you want to go into. I think a lot of people end up doing bug bounty hunting not because they've got a genuine interest in security, but because they have a genuine interest in earning money, which is a fine motivator, but it can only get you so far. And as soon as you're kind of getting a few hundred dollars, you will lose interest. Uh, it's not a long-term motivator so step one make sure it's what you actually want to go into make sure you want to spend you know your i say free time your time at work learning new techniques going and investing into reading research papers reading blog articles watching playbacks of defcon talks etc so you have that genuine interest because that will take you really far the second point is i don't think there's a wrong way to get into application security i think application security in general is very um very much improved by the fact we have so many diverse backgrounds somebody who used to be a developer and who was for 30 years can really add as much as somebody who's you know done it for five years and has kind of a background in like it support both of them can add to that process um so i don't really think there's a bad but i do think a lot of people kind of end up in web security or interest in web security because they're like i want to be a hacker and this seems like the main route there's so many different routes into security that do not involve burp suite and do not involve bug bounty platforms and some people are amazing bug hunters but could not work like an actual app set job and so many uh, people who are app engineers or who maybe struggle with the kind of app set part of it would be great bug hunters so i don't really think there's like one clear path if i was making a recommendation i would say have a go at hacking and see if you like it that is my path into into bug bounty hunting it's have a go do you like it do you find it interesting do you find it enjoyable do you find it challenging if you don't hate it within the first few hours that's a that's a great route to start
1: so uh kind of as far as someone wanting to get into that do you think there's it would be helpful for someone to try to learn some type of web development
0: I do think so. Um, A lot of people have very strong opinions on this, and I'm not saying I'm correct. And you can see that I'm trying to get around the fact that I know people are going to be upset about this. But I do think it really helps. I think it's very hard to piece together how an application works without understanding how they're built, whether that's from a programming point of view, or I think equally, a um, like DevOps point of view is super helpful now, especially when we think about like containerization, container security. Think about things like Docker, uh, CI CD pipelines, DevOps, huge benefit. Programming, understanding the underlying code, also a huge benefit. Um, again, people have opinions about what the best way is. I personally think it's helpful.
1: So so what are your favorite tools to work with on on bug hunting?
0: So I swear by Burp Suite and Firefox. I do not use any fancy tools other than Burp Suite and Firefox because I don't really think you need to. In fact, I actually tried a challenge um over the last 2 years. Each year I've told myself, can I find enough bugs with the free version of Burp Suite? such that i can um uh i can buy the burp premium license and i did it within like the first few weeks of trying the challenge i purchased it like four times over so (laughs) i don't think you need to pay for it either i really like i've gotten very into pwn fox which is a great extension for burp suite that works with firefox and it basically colors in your burp like history where you've got the um like websites you visited uh uh that is colored by like tabs in um in firefox you can have like a red tab container that appears in the proxy history as highlighted in red so helpful for testing complex apis especially when you're looking at like multiple tenancies and stuff like that um My best recon tools amass is super great, though I don't know how to use it because again, I don't do recon, but it looks very cool and it gets a lot of data out. I've never used that data for anything, but there's a lot of it. Um, And Kite Runner, I really like Kite Runner. It's specifically an API tool and it uses contextual clues about how an API is built in order to have a better recon. And I will say though, I've had a lot of luck with the English dictionary as well. Like sometimes you don't need fancy tools. Sometimes what you need is a list of verbs and nouns that you can just put in because APIs have things like users and accounts and stuff like that. Um, There's also a great uh, GraphQL um, for Burp called InQL. And that's great if you work with uh, GraphQL APIs just because it highlights when you found one and sometimes they're kind of hard to spot you don't always notice it
1: very cool so yeah here in the kite runner i can kind of see why you like to use it based on what you're sharing of the way you you approach bug bounties so i can see yeah i
0: I, I like it as well because often with apis you're never gonna find the a well-designed api because apis are like fundamentally kind of botched together by developers they're not no one's really there designing every api endpoint at least not in any of the like development teams i've worked with or that i've seen apis tend to grow they start out with good intentions they become amorphous lumps of just oh carl from accounting said he needed this feature so we added it oh, we needed to add this for this release, so we added it. And you end up with a lot of like shadow APIs. So Kite Runner is really great because it can include that context, like for API version numbers, you know, is your API located at slash or slash API? If you are not using the right word list for an API, you can kind of see how, you know, if, you, if your API is at, I don't know, my website slash API, Completely different results than API dash v one slash right. Like that is going to give you completely different results if you're not pointing it at the right location for the API endpoints.
1: So uh, just kind of curious, why why do you choose Firefox over the other browsers for your for your use of, for bug hunting?
0: because I don't use it for anything else. I use Safari as my main web browser and I use Chrome because anyone who uses Safari as their main web browser will know uh, nothing works on Safari. So when Safari breaks, I use Chrome, (laughs) um, which then leads me to, I could have like multiple profiles in Chrome or I could just download Firefox and use Firefox. I think it also has pretty great like plugin support. Uh, I think a lot of other people use Firefox. So I find that, a lot of like Burp add-ons will kind of work with Firefox. PwnFox, for example, works with Firefox. Um, so yeah, that's I. it's essentially just because I know it and it's a different web browser. Though when I teach, I teach people to use the inbuilt web browser uh, into Burp now because they don't have to set up the proxy settings and that makes it a lot easier for them.
1: That That sure is a nice feature. Uh, and back to kind of the Firefox thing, one of the things I like it is when you're, you're when you're doing like a web app pen test or something and, you know, the other browsers are also proxying, you know, if you got your proxies on your system, the system proxies, your all that data is coming in, although you can filter it in Burp Suite. But one of the things I liked about Firefox is, you know, because even like your exchange email stuff can come through if you're using, you know, uh, Edge or even uh, Chrome. So that's one of the reasons I kind of like it is to not have all the extra traffic going through that you don't need.
0: I was testing a Zoom for for H14420 in London, which is a live hacking event. And um, I was testing the desktop application. I don't usually test desktop applications. I usually test mobile and um, web applications, but uh, I broke my mobile like lab basically by updating the iOS version by accident. Um, cause I wasn't thinking. And so I like put it onto the whole computer and my God, that was, that was an exercise in like, okay, how do I actually filter all this out? Because some of it is out of scope for bug bounty, but I still want to see it. And some of it is discord going off in the background. Right? Like, I don't want to see that at all
1: very interesting so uh we were kind of talking about this before we started and i think this is a good subject to bring up because we're kind of discussing hobbies and and getting time away from the computer and kind of taking breaks from uh securities so what's kind of your thoughts there
0: i think having a hobby outside the computer is so important if you work in computing because uh, there's a great meme actually that's like, oh, I'm finally done with work. Now I can say goodbye to big computer and hello to little computer. <laughs> okay. uh, and that little future is full of happiness. Um, I think it's really easy to get caught up in i finish work i'm going to go look at my phone i've done i think it's so important to have hobbies that just do not involve a computer at all um me personally i am very much into crafting uh, you can see my little cthulhu up here i mm-hmm. made him he's oh, wow. crocheted um he's huge nice i was expecting him <laughs> to be like this big and he's like this uh-huh. big. He's huge. He's this like absolutely, <laughs> absolute unit of of a, uh, he was originally going to go on one of the little shelves. Uh, yeah, he doesn't fit on the little shelves. He's way too big. Um, and I'm also a knitter as well. So I crochet in a knit and I will show you, this is, this is going to be a jumper or a sweater eventually. Oh, cool. This is like the top part. That's the, that's the hole for the head. Okay. Um, but I always have like a craft project near my computer, I always relax by doing stuff that's outside, I have a Kindle as well. Again, this doesn't have internet access, there's no distractions, I can just sit and like have a hobby just outside of being on Twitter all night or and actually have that time to relax. I think it's really easy, especially as a creator as well, and I'm sure you've experienced this too where every single time you are not actively creating or doing work you're like i could be being cre- like creating content and doing work right now i'm wasting time and i think it's really important to schedule in not working um, and to make sure you're not tempted to work when you could be relaxing so I say this, and it is in fact like six thirty here. Uh, I am doing this after work in my free time, so <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'm not such a great example of this. Um, but I do think it's important. After this, I'm literally going to go downstairs and go knit in my jumper.
1: Good, that's good. As as I mentioned, to you, I need to find some hobbies too because you, like you mentioned, you're going to from the big computer to the little computer. And so many people will if your day job is some is on the blue team, maybe you're wanting to learn pen testing, you're doing hack the box or something like that, or CTFs or, or bug bounty, you're constantly doing it. I can really see the need to get away from that. And I was kind of seeing that myself.
0: Yeah, it's I think it's really tough as well because if you say are in a job where you're not in your like dream role Um, So let's say you are like on the blue team because you kind of, that was the job you could get, but your real passion is in pen testing. It's really hard to actually allow yourself to take breaks because it feels like you're slowing down. But if you want, and my PhD supervisor used to say this all the time, um, he would say, I love my job. I want to be able to work this job in 20 years time. If I burn out by working too much now, there is no way I can have that sustainable career of a job I love for the next 20 years. It's not going to happen. So I need to schedule in breaks. I need to take things slowly because otherwise I'm not going to, I'm going to have a job that I hate. I'm going to have a thing that isn't fulfilling in my career and I'm not going to be happy long-term with my career.
1: You know, it seems like sometimes, too, even though you try – if you try to force learning, it's just like if you're studying for some kind of certification and you keep studying and studying, there comes a point where you're saturated, you're not going to learn anymore, that, that you need to schedule and breaks. And one of the things I like to make comparisons to, because the brain, you know, this is part of the human body, if you're an athlete, you're training for certain events, you can't do that all the time, or you're going to overtrain, you're going to burn out. So we think about it, the brain is the same thing. You know, there's only so much time you can – study or concentrate that it's actually going to be useful so it kind of seems like it's good to kind of schedule in breaks even if you're enjoying it to have some time away to avoid ever getting towards burnout
0: yeah i mean i think as well especially in bug bounty hunting we see a lot of people saying bug bounty hunters don't sleep and i've had moments where i have realized in bed oh my god i know how to exploit that bug I need to get up and work right now,
1: just like the um, meme.
0: Yeah, just like the meme. So just go get up and not sleep. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't really help like long term because if you if you genuinely do stay up late every night. Your health is going to genuinely suffer. You're going to feel terrible every day. You're not going to find, especially like the same enjoyment. And you're certainly not going to learn anything because your brain is so stressed. I think something that's really unique about cybersecurity is that we do so much learning outside of work. I don't know if there are many fields where people, um, push themselves to do loads of certifications outside of work certainly as a developer it was something that was an option but it was inside work for me like oh is there a certification you want to get we'll pay for the training for you it wasn't really a option to say oh yeah we're not paying for that you've got to learn that in your own time so i do wonder if we in like cybersecurity as a field kind of put up with a lot more not learning, but like certification experience, trying to validate our learning then is really healthy for us as well.
1: Yeah. I kind of agree with that. Cause I, I haven't seen any other field like that. You know, a lot of other fields too, uh, you know, if you're a doctor or something, then they're going to send you for certain training to keep sharp and, and, uh, you know, stay ahead of the game. And, you know, it's not always that way in cybersecurity, it seems like some cases if people want to get ahead and learn, they have to do this in their own time a lot.
0: Yeah, and I think that's actually pretty sad as well. I think that it means a lot of people end up especially in the junior parts of their career pushing certification after certification after certification when actually they probably would have got more in like learning and experience from just having a professional mentor to talk to like i'm not really sure if doing an exam every few months is as helpful as connecting with someone who's more senior in the field and building up those professional networks and especially for a beginner i would say especially in I I mean, I talk from a place of privilege here, I know, but especially in the early parts of your career, I would really make an effort to not bash out certification after certification, but instead look at joining a community, whether that's an online community or even better something local. So you can start to make that professional network and professional connections. I think that's so much more valuable long-term.
1: And and one of the things I wanted to cover today too, was the fact that you're a content creator and I wanted to get your point of view of how helpful you think this is to someone's profession. And if you're you're working cybersecurity, how helpful is that in in your perf- personal branding to your career?
0: Oh, it is the biggest thing you can do for your personal career. So I'll use an example. I teach a, at a university, um, and we have I teach some courses. Um, in the first year, my students write blog posts that they can put on LinkedIn. Um, in the second year they um talk about pick a security vulnerability and make some content for a developer audience explaining that vulnerability and one the level of submissions and the quality of them incredible was not expecting them to be that good um two is that it helps so much it puts you out there and it turns that kind of job hunting game away from you chasing recruiters and you chasing people to help to help you out, and instead turns it to them. And you're saying, well, I'm this person, you can see my work because I write blogs, people will come up to you and be like, we want to hire you, how do we do that? Like, what, what can we do to get you on our team? And it's such a powerful position. And I, this is why I recommend to my students, because I think that making content is the most like the biggest thing you can do for your career. It doesn't matter if nobody watches it. It doesn't matter if it's bad. Your first anything you do will always be bad. Like my first video, absolutely terrible, was filmed on a potato. Um, I had like a piece of A4 paper next to me because I couldn't remember what I wanted to say about all the different parts of burp, which is what the video was on. Terrible. My second video, also terrible, but slightly better. And now, when I'd like tell my students, look, like producing content, making videos, it comes from experience and practice. You will be very bad at it, and you will slowly get better until you're no longer bad, uh, and you won't be able to accurately pinpoint when you had your first good anything. So I hundred percent recommend it, whether it's written content like blogs or videos or tweets or producing something of value it is so good for your career and also it's really great for the community as well it gives yeah i think content creation is a fantastic way to like increase your crisp prospects whether it's like written content video content um a newsletter whatever podcast It is so big for being able to change the equation in hiring, right? So often when you're going to employers and you're basically asking for a job, you have to follow up with them. You have to follow up with the recruiters. It puts quite a lot of that job hunting strain onto um, you. If you're making content, companies will eventually come up to you and be like, oh, we saw this. We think it's great. Now, will your first piece of content be good? Absolutely not. Will your second piece of content be good? Absolutely not. You start out and it's terrible. You are not going to be very good at making videos or making a podcast or uh, anything because you're new, you're learning, right? You will see those little incremental improvements and there will be a point where people consider you good at making that content, a good writer, a good video maker, whatever. You will never be able to tell where on the line um of like first video to 81st video where you suddenly got good but somewhere in there you did and it's at that point where recruiters and employers will kind of be coming to you and saying we love what you've been doing we love your talks we found it really interesting and especially if you're an introvert um if you're at a conference and you deliver like a really good talk you do not need to go up to people because they will just come up to you and start speaking to you and for you you just be like yeah this is great i i can just sit here uh and answer their questions instead of having to go up to people now i really recommend this and i you force my students to do it so in the first year i force my students to write as part of their assessment a blog post on, in this case, like a field of security they find interesting. It's up to them what they write about, but they just have to write a blog post on something that interests them. In the second year, I ask a bit more of them. I say, look, you can create whatever you want. It could be a video. It could be a podcast um, about a vulnerability. Uh, It has to be a web security vulnerability for a developer or like technical audience who is trying to learn about them. Essentially, I make students produce YouTube videos that I would make. And I gotta say, really surprised with some of them. like. They are very good. Like my students, some of their work is up on LinkedIn. Uh, If you ever come across an MMU student and you're like, wow, that's a great blog post on XSS, uh, it's because they made it for my class. And I feel very proud of that. The most interesting one, one of my students wrote a short story about I think it was remote code execution type vulnerabilities they had written like this full-blown short story novel um and it had like a little info document that came with it so it was designed to be used in like a classroom so they had this story that students would read and try and, and see what this vulnerability means in like context and then they'd have like okay and here's how the teacher would teach around this here's how you would put that training into use and i was like that's such a cool way of talking about security so i absolutely recommend it um i wouldn't have made videos unless uh and i wouldn't be where i am now unless i would have made videos like it fundamentally like changed probably my entire career path to be honest
1: Very cool. And that's, that's great that you include that in your, in your classroom. So I'm sure they'll, they'll be happy that they went through that because just the benefits you get. And as you mentioned, you know, all of a sudden you're not the one chasing the recruiters, the recruiters are chasing you. So it's makes, makes it a lot easier because if you look at the difficult, yeah, you look at the difficult times we're going through now with all the layoffs, it's kind of difficult, a little more difficult to find jobs, but for people like yourself and other content creators and people that do the conference speaking and all that it, you know we're still finding jobs if we want them it's a little more difficult for the people that aren't really uh taking advantage of that
0: i always compare it to like a developer a developer if they're going through like a degree program or if they're going through a boot camp will have a github profile full of all their projects that they've done and full of code that people can look at and people can look at that and go okay this person is obviously a react developer because they've got 30 projects in react or they've contributed to um i don't know some tool so i can see that they can work with others and in cybersecurity we just don't have that as much as people in other uh, like technical fields do um we don't have an easy way of saying you know here's how great i am at cybersecurity so i think content creation is a good way to kind of meet that Kind of gap of how do we show a portfolio of our work to an employer especially as a junior to get that first interview and i think the majority of people who practice things like content creation will smash an interview for sure because the skills you learn in producing like a video producing a blog will immediately transfer to an interview setting so I do think they'll do really well at interview. Um, And actually my students really hated that assignment when I first told (laughs) them about it. I had some students who were like, oh my God, this is amazing. I know exactly what I'm going to create. and Other students that were like, I'm just gonna make a slideshow about a vulnerability. And I'm like, that's fine. Um, I let them write academic reports if they want to. They don't have to do something fun, but I encourage them. You mm-hmm. know, put something together that at least you'll be able to put on LinkedIn. Put something together that you could put on Medium or put it on your CV. Like really show off that security knowledge. Build up that pro- portfolio that they might have in code that they can then have in cybersecurity as well.
1: Very awesome. That's that's good. Like I said, that's, I just can't get over that. That's a really really great idea. And. And I guess a lot of cases, a lot of professors don't have that experience themselves, so they don't think of that. But that's that's really a great idea.
0: Yeah, I mean, some of my colleagues think I'm a bit crazy <laughs> with some <laughs> of my educational ideas. But my students love it, so I, I can't complain. They, they, they like it. They're having a good time. Um, Also with that assignment, I had them fill out a kind of self-reflection on what they've learned and how. So it was a mix between like full cybersecurity students who want to go into SOC or red teaming or whatever, and computer science students who didn't want to take computer graphics because they'd have to program in C. That's essentially the two different types of students. So I had them think about, you know, how does this course change how you'll be as a developer? How is this going to impact your career? How is this going to make you think about these problems more widely? And I think that's so important to have in like a developer curriculum because it's really easy to get caught up in. I know ten programming languages. And they're all the hot, trendy ones. And instead, move it to okay. Yes, I can program, but I understand these wider issues. And I think that's how we improve the like security workforce of the future.
1: Very cool. So uh, we're getting down towards the end of this episode. Is there anything that you'd like to share that we didn't cover?
0: People always ask me. You know, if you have, if you're interested in getting into bug bounty, what should what should I do? Um, And i used to kind of say well you could do x y and z um though my like career in content creation over the last few years has taught me that you may as well recommend your own videos and chill for yourself uh, because nobody else is going to do it for you necessarily so you may as well so like follow (laughs) like comment and subscribe to my youtube channel uh, it's inside a PhD. I make videos about web security. I also have a newsletter that you can sign up for. The link is in the community tab on YouTube, um, and you can also follow me on Twitter. That's also on YouTube as well.
1: And we'll be sharing in the show notes all all the socials for Katie as well as, uh, you know, her YouTube channel and all that. So you'll be able to contact her and and consumer content. So this is some of the best bug bounty content out there, and I highly recommend it. Plus, you know, someone coming from the educational background because, you know, not everyone that does content comes from that background. So having that understanding, I really feel like that kind of helps the quality of your content.
0: Yeah. I mean, I always describe my videos as less YouTube videos, more lectures. And if you do come from like a formal educational background and you find the kind of mismatch of getting resources from all these different places quite confusing. Um, I really recommend my videos because they kind of break it down in a slideshow, in a lecture format that you're probably already familiar with. It's a great way to kind of ease you into the more chaotic learning world of bug bounty hunting, or indeed like cybersecurity in general.
1: Well, thanks thanks for for joining. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, it was good to to get a little more idea of your background because I've seen you online, but just to kind of get some of these stories of how you use the content creation with your students. And so it's been a great discussion.
0: Yeah, I've had a great time. Thank you so much for having me. It's oh. been super fun and uh, yeah.
1: I re- really appreciate you being on here. And so I think there's there'll be a lot of people get use out of it. And a lot of the people that, that tune in are beginners or they're just learning about some of these other areas. So I'm sure there'll be some people that will be able to uh, get a lot from this and take advantage of your content.
0: Thank you. I just hope, Pete, I can inspire people to have a go themselves. That is the bare minimum that I want from any of my content. But thank you so much. And thank you to everybody for listening and watching. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to The Philip Wiley Show. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, to learn more about Philip, go to thehackermaker.com and connect with
1: him on LinkedIn and Twitter at Philip Wiley. Until next time.